Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. We began our series about spiritual warfare and understanding what spiritual warfare is last week. And this morning, I think we're going to talk about one of the more important things about spiritual warfare, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. When we speak the precious and powerful name of Jesus, it's not a magic word. Understand that. This is not a magic word where we can just fling it and then everything is just going to be okay. We must be wholly submitted to Jesus to use it. It's not a name or a word that we can just casually throw around even though I think that is the case nowadays. That we look to the name of Jesus more as a thing or a way to describe someone we know. But it's much more than that. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. The name of Jesus is the most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Jesus is the Word. And by the Word and through His holy name, the worlds were framed. Hebrews chapter 11. The very name by which the entire universe came to existence. And is the name through which prayer is answered. And the name at which demons tremble and flee. The Apostle Paul declared in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. You can reference that now. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says this. Therefore God also has highly exalted him. And given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth. And of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to the glory of God the Father. When believers pray, they conclude by citing or speaking the holy name of Jesus. Because he promised to be present in power amongst his followers and answer their prayers whenever they acted in his name. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name... I am there in the midst of them. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The reason why believers are commanded to proclaim the holy name of Jesus is to invoke his power and authority in their circumstances. Jesus is no longer 
present in bodily form to rebuke the works of the devil. However, he is present within his followers by the indwelling Holy Spirit to aid them when they need his assistance. Jesus informed his disciples of how he would ascend into heaven. And he encouraged them that they would no longer have need of his physical presence. Of course, they thought differently. He's declared, in that day, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Well, that day has arrived. That day has arrived. And Jesus has given a mandate to his followers to go forth in his name, winning the lost to Christ. Jesus granted us power to preach the gospel. However, he also bestowed power to overcome the forces of darkness. John declared, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. There is power in the name of Jesus. Add his name, the demons flee. Add his name, captives of freed. Add his name, God's enemies shall be crushed beneath our feet. For there is no other name that is higher than Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, we read about how Paul and Silas were being harassed by a demon-possessed slave girl who kept following them and disrupting their ministry. And the Bible says, But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Like Paul... All Christians have power over the enemy and his evil forces. All in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. However, his name must not be taken lightly or used inappropriately. It's unwise to utilize a weapon without first knowing its intricate workings and being properly trained in its use. And so this morning, we're going to see how to properly handle the name of Jesus. And we'll also be shown what not to do in using his holy name. So if you turn to Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Acts 19. But as you're turning there, you should know that one of the most exciting statements in the Bible 
is where Jesus gave a personal testimony about the dimension, magnitude, and extent of his power. One of the arguments that support the assertion that Jesus is Lord is that Jesus Christ is the only person in living memory that has ever claimed to be the holder of all the powers in earth and also claimed equality with the Father God. No other man or power has ever dared to claim or pretended either falsely or rightly that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And before we can realize and understand the importance of this proclamation, we need to look at the concept of power much deeper. What is power? Power is the ability to authoritatively influence a decision. That's power. Power is the capacity to bring about change. Power is the capacity to control one's environment, including the behavior of other entities. It's the ability or capacity to perform or act effectively. It is the ability to do or act and the capability of doing or accomplishing something. It is the possession of controlling influence. It's the ability to produce results. In this world, we are very familiar with various kinds of power. Traditional power held by kings or nations or other chiefs, prince or princesses. We know of that kind of power. Spiritual power held by religious leaders or various faiths. Financial power held by owners of industries, the rich and mighty. Military power held by commander-in-chiefs and other officers of the armies of nations and states. And there's also satanic power held by the occultalytic people and satanic agents. We often believe our human problems can be solved if we can encounter any of the powers mentioned above. But the truth is that most of the people holding the various human powers also have problems that their human powers cannot solve. So it's better to look unto him to have all powers in heaven and earth. In this passage this morning, Jesus Christ is saying that he is more powerful than all the political powers in the earth. He is more powerful than all the presidents of nations. He is more powerful than all the traditional powers 
on earth. And as a matter of fact, he is the king of kings. He is more powerful than all the spiritual powers on earth. He is the only genuine source of all divine solutions to human problems. He is more powerful than all the billionaires on earth. He is richer than all the rich men of the earth. And lastly, he has armies that are more powerful than all the armies of the nations of the earth. He is commander-in-chief or the hosts of heaven and earth. Some of us may argue or even deny this point, but according to Scripture, Jesus granted his followers the ability to perform amazing signs. In Mark chapter 17, Jesus said, In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In Acts chapter 19, which is our primary text this morning, we can observe Paul freely exercising this unusual yet amazing spiritual authority. In verses 11 and 12, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Right here, Paul utilized the spiritual gifts of healing and miracles. Jesus promised his followers that they would be endued with his power from on high. And that this power would be granted them by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the same power is available to believers today. In Jesus' name, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. However, some believers reject this power, believing it's currently unavailable or that it's the work of the devil. One time the scribes approached Jesus and said, By the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. But then he replied, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Jesus was saying that when the Lord is glorified through the working of signs and wonders, then it can't be the work of the devil. It is instead the work of of the Holy Spirit. The negative feelings that some believers have about spiritual gifts are derived from seeing an abuse of the gifts. The correct use of Jesus' power and gift is for bringing glory to God. Period. It's to bring glory to God. So if someone's seeking spiritual 
gifts in order to feel important, special or powerful, then he or she is not right with the Lord. And that individual is about to get a spiritual beating. Amen? We have to have a hunger for spiritual power. Verses 12 and 13 talks about this. So the question becomes, what happens when you find something to satisfy your hunger or thirst? What happens? You want more, right? You want more. When we go out to eat, how often do we order meals that we've enjoyed before? We know what to expect, right? Few of us try something different each time. And how likely are we to return to a restaurant if we are disappointed with the food that's being served? When we come to Jesus and stop to look to the things that the world offers to satisfy our spiritual hunger and thirst, we find satisfaction. You won't find satisfaction in other religions. Buddha's bones are lying in a grave. Muhammad and Joseph Smith discovered their special revelations where only lies when their lives were over. They know the truth now. They know the truth. Those who promise completeness apart from Jesus Christ offer empty promises. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger of the soul. Amen. He won't leave you spiritually empty because Jesus doesn't break his promises. John 6.35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. John 7.37 and 38, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water flow from within him. Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies our hunger. Only Jesus can give us living water to satisfy our thirst. But we also know that that hunger and thirst can be intensified. What happens when you exercise or work hard? You get hungry and thirsty again, right? You don't want to wait until that scheduled time for the next meal. You want to satisfy your hunger and thirst now. An individual who is really hungry or thirsty will not just stand in the kitchen and say, you know, I'm about to die if I don't eat or drink something. Hunger and thirst will get you to do something. It will motivate you. It motivates a person to take action because that desire must be satisfied. Your hunger and thirst for Jesus should be growing. You should daily desire more of God 
and his righteousness. Why? Let me show you how our hunger and thirst should grow. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. The Beatitudes are the building blocks to be like Jesus. They are the Beatitudes. The qualities and characteristics of the Christ-like life. We should be working up an appetite for God. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That is where it should be. That's where our heart should be. Because putting Jesus as the center in our life, it will sustain you and motivate you to want more of him. Remember, we can't just pick and choose which of these characteristics are displayed in our life. God commands us to have all of them. Believe me, I would love to be able to pick and choose so I can kick patience out the door. Would love to do that. But that's not reality. That's not what my God has commanded me to do. If anything, he's commanded me to be more patient. And then he gives me opportunity. It's all or nothing. The Beatitudes show us a process of spiritual growth. We are to follow the process as the building blocks are placed in our lives to make us like Jesus. A desire to feel powerful. This is why some people often dabble in the supernatural. Some will unfortunately do so in the name of Jesus, hoping to justify their desire for power by portraying it in a spiritual light. Luke shares the account of some Jewish exorcists who, in their thirst for spiritual power, were trying to mimic Paul's healings. We read this in verses 13 and 14. Then some of the internet Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. You see, the context of this account is placed in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was well known for its pagan spirituality. For example, in Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors, Anthipolis of Syracuse journeyed to Ephesus and referred to the city's reputation as a city and center for the learning and practice of magical arts. Some of the younger people are probably thinking, oh yeah, like Harry Potter. Right? Yeah, it's like Harry Potter. No. Much worse. Much worse. Antiphilus is portrayed by Shakespeare as saying, They say this town is full of deception, as nimble jugglers that deceive the eye, dark working sorcerers that change the mind, 
soul-killing witches that deform the body, disguised cheaters, prating snake oil peddlers, and many such like liberties of sin. People journeyed to Ephesus to learn black magic and obtain spiritual power. And when those Jewish exorcists saw the power behind Paul's exorcisms and healings, they became very envious. They wanted to possess this same power. Like people today who obsess over spiritual gifts or who seek power in the realm of the supernatural. They figured the name of Jesus must have been some magic term like hocus pocus. And the seven sons were determined that they would use Jesus' name and find out what would happen. Keep in mind, however, that they weren't spiritually prepared. Because I will say this in verses 15 and 16, only believers should use his name. Only believers should use his name. The results of Peter using the powerful name of Jesus caused not one, but two entire cities to turn to Jesus. Often we are floored by three or four people turning to the Lord. But here we find two cities turning from their old ways and discovering a life in Christ. This is what can happen when we take ourselves out of the equation and allow the Lord to have his way. That's what I'm doing here. I'm trying to get out of the way. Let the Lord do what he does. Look around you. Look what the Lord is doing. It's not by anything I, Dave, or the leadership of this church is doing. This is God's work. And we're just trying to get out of the way. Let him do what he does. I know that we're taught in Philippians 4.13. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But sometimes we need to call on that marvelous name alone. You see, we sometimes call on his name doubting or wondering if it is in his will to do what we ask. But when we put our focus wholly on Jesus and extract the human factor out of it, wonderful things happen. That's why I always say that if the church ever got serious about praying, the Lord could remove the human element out of the picture and people could be healed by the shadow of this very building. God has the power to do that. But we get in the way, don't we? We get in the way. So because Peter put Jesus' name first and foremost and left himself out of the picture, the results were breathtaking. Amazing things happened. Two cities turned to the Lord. But it also says that we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful. The name of Jesus is a powerful weapon against the enemy. And a weapon must be handled with great care. For example, 
If proper maintenance isn't done in cleaning a firearm, what can happen? It can backfire, right? How about an axe left unsharpened? Those of you who have chopped wood before, it can slip and cause bad injuries. Likewise, using the name of Jesus improperly can backfire, just as it did with the seven sons, as we read in verses 15 and 16. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. The seven sons were unaffiliated with Paul and the other apostles of Christ. And yet they were trying to mimic the apostles and invoke the name of Jesus. They did this in order to cast out a demon. In Mark chapter 9, 38 through 40, we're told of a somewhat similar scenario of a person who was calling on the name of Jesus. And even though he wasn't associated with the disciples... The scripture tells us that John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But notice this. Jesus says this. Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak of evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. In the book of Acts, we see how these seven sons got into trouble for calling on the name of Jesus. However, in the passage from Mark, the Lord told his disciples to let and leave the individual alone. Leave him alone. For he who is not against us is on our side. So what made the difference between these two scenarios? The seven sons were in Ephesus because they were seeking power and attempting to learn the magical arts. God says that people should never seek after magic and witchcraft. Therefore, it's likely they were unsaved, not knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And since the fellow mentioned in Mark was actually helping further the ministry of Jesus, he was probably a believer of Christ. Perhaps he was saved under the ministry of John the Baptist or someone else, and that's why the disciples were unfamiliar with him. Nevertheless, he was able to call on the name of Jesus and find a measure of success because he was undoubtedly a believer. The demons looked at those seven sons and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? If Jesus had been abiding within these seven sons, the demons would have recognized Christ's presence. Also, if the seven sons were believers, they would have been in Ephesus in order to assist Paul in his ministry. However, that was not the case. The demons knew they weren't helping Paul, nor were they with him. 
The bottom line is that the seven sons were unbelievers, and that's why they were powerless against the demons and were beaten up and kicked out of the house to flee the scene naked or in the buff, however you want to call it. What kind of spiritual attack might we encounter if we don't know Jesus as Savior? If we are a believer in Jesus, then we have Christ living inside of us. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit and full and overflowing. However, if we happen to be an unbeliever, then we are left empty inside. So what will happen? Should the devil find us empty? Matthew 12 states this, and Jesus stated, With an unclean spirit goes out of a man. He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. If we don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, whether we abuse and misuse his name or not, then we are opening ourselves up for the enemy to come in and make his home within us. We need to allow Jesus to come instead and turn our no vacancy sign into a vacancy sign where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him. So what does that say for us as a Christian? I would say this. We had better know his name. We had better know his name. We should never call on the name of Jesus and attempt to cast out a demon if we don't have a personal and intimate relationship with the Savior. This is a fact that became well established and understood by all the people who were living in Ephesus. Verses 17 through 20. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them. And it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Amen. When the people of Ephesus witnessed what had happened to the seven sons, as a result of these men not knowing Jesus, they then realized how dangerous it is to live without Christ. Amen. They didn't want to take any more chances. So they came confessing and telling their deeds. If we're planning on using the name of Jesus, then we had better think about our deeds first. Where do we stand in our relationship with Christ? 
We cannot utilize the name of Jesus in spiritual warfare if we're not a believer. And if we are indeed a believer, then I want to caution us against using his name if we're distant in our relationship with him or if we're living in known sin. To utilize his name without knowing him is to set yourself up for a serious spiritual beating. We had better know his name. But more importantly, we better know who he is in our relationship to him. We better know where our relationship is to him. The name of Jesus is the power of the blood. And unless we're covered by the blood of the lamb, then we're unprotected from the spiritual realm. When the people of Ephesus realized this fact, they gave up the finite power of Satan for the infinite power in the blood. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then you are able to call on his name for power, especially over the enemy and to combat the forces of sin and darkness. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, we read this. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. The seventy were about to cast out demons in Jesus' name and overcome the attacks of the devil. However, Jesus went on to remind them that the greatest victory of all in his name and in knowing him is the victory over sin and death. He continued to tell them in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not in rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We don't call upon his name for our benefit. We call upon his name to further his kingdom, to deepen our relationship to him. We rejoice in our salvation and we get ready. We get ready as Christians to put the demons to flight. That's what we do. And if you happen to realize this morning that maybe your relationship isn't where it needs to be or that you don't even have that relationship to Jesus Christ, then I encourage you to do as the people did in Ephesus as they came confessing and telling their deeds. Confessing your sins and asking God's forgiveness is known as repentance, right? Repentance. And it's the first step towards having that relationship with Jesus Christ. And not only that, we gain the eternal life with God the Father. And then the second step is to confess that Jesus 
is our Savior and Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9, and 10. Jesus' name is powerful. And it is the greatest weapon we have in our arsenal against the enemy. But we have to use it appropriately. And we have to know that name. And we have to have that relationship to him. So I encourage you, if you don't, don't let another day go by. Don't let another minute go by before coming and asking, what does it mean to be in relationship with him? What does it mean to be part of God's army? What does it mean to have the powers that he has to defeat darkness and sin? Don't leave here unequipped. Don't leave here unequipped. Dave. As we began the service, I stated that Jeremiah 29.13 tells us the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah that those who seek me will find me. Those who seek me with all their hearts. Are you seeking him today? With your heart? Good news, if you are, you're going to find him. He's going to be there to meet you. And this morning, I'm going to invite you as we sing this song, that if you have a, a decision that you want to have made known publicly, whatever it might be, if you come to faith in Christ and you want to declare that, just as a few have over the last few weeks, don't hesitate. Don't leave today without doing that. We want to rejoice with you. And as we go from here to the lunch and as we go into the new week, let's do so asking God to draw us close to Him. He will do that. And He'll meet you right where you are. He'll meet you right where you are. Draw me close to you.
we leave for our luncheon, I spoke earlier about the roadblocks that are placed before. If I said, if the church got to busy praying, how the miracles would be unfold. And so I'm going to ask, Pastor Reed, you'll come join me, please. Because here we have an opportunity. Pastor Reed is dealing with a melanoma, I believe. Stage 2C. And they told me at Stanford that if this spot on my neck is comes back with uh, melanoma, it'll be stage 3. They'll deal with it with uh, surgery and with chemotherapy. Okay. I feel peace. I'm 84 years old. God has blessed me all my life. Amen. He's been faithful. Yes. And I trust him to be faithful now. Yes. I'm going to ask that the deacons will come. I'm going to lay hands on Pastor Reed and pray for him. Okay. Love you, brother. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. Let me kneel down. Guys, if you'll help me up after I kneel down. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord, we know that you know all things, even beyond our own understanding. Lord, we face things that are difficult. We face things that we don't necessarily believe should be in our lives, but Lord, you have a purpose through all of it. Lord, I know that you can manifest your glory through all of us. And you use situations to magnify your name. We lift up our brother, Pastor Reed, to you this morning. Lord, he's waiting for results with the melanoma. Lord, no matter what comes down the chute, we will glorify you. We will praise your name. But we also know that you are the great physician and that you can heal all. And you can take this away, never to be seen again. And we will praise you for that. And even if the news is not what we want it to be, Lord, we will praise your name. Lord, I know that you are with us and that you guide us. I ask you to be with my brother. Give him calmness. And peace in his heart. Lord, he's expressed that. What a true testament of what it is to be a servant of you. That we can face trials. We can face tribulation. And we can still praise you. We can still be the example that you've called us all to be. And so we thank you. And we praise you now for the result that will be. And we lift up our brother. We love you, Lord. And we love our brother Reed. It's in your name we pray this morning, Lord. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. 
If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.